I want to ask you an important question this Christmas season. Where do you find serenity? My family and I were on vacation last week over the Thanksgiving school break, and I've been a little shy in telling people where we went on vacation uh, because I thought it, it might seem extravagant when a pastor tells you that he went to Hawaii, which I did. And it was made possible through an inheritance I received when my mom passed away last year, and it was a small inheritance. We decided to bust it all on one fabulous family experience, including my adult children. And I think my mom would really be pleased, you know, by the idea of our family being together. And my kids know this, this is a gift uh, from Nanny. Uh, it was my first time in Hawaii, and I already want to go back. Uh, some of you maybe have, have been there, and maybe you know it is stunningly beautiful. It is peaceful, it is serene, and it's dangerous. Uh, we weren't able to actually swim this time of year. The waves get really big, and there's jagged rocks and coral. Uh, we, we tried to swim once, and a lifeguard stopped us. Uh, he said, you know, don't go in the water if you don't know how to swim. And I said, I know how to swim. Uh, why do people always assume I don't know how to swim? I, I, I like, give off the non-swimmer vibe or something, and... And don't forget your sunscreen in this Hawaiian sun. And I did feel like, do you, like, do you tell everybody about sunscreen? Or is there something about me that's standing out on the beach on this day? And I, I, I get it. It's beautiful. It's, it's tranquil. It's, it's serene. Uh, and it could kill me. I, I, I could be pushed against rocks. I could get skin cancer. And yet, looking around, I still have this peaceful, easy feeling. And the thought that occurred to me on the beach that day was that serenity and dangerous waves can coexist. Serenity and waves are not mutually exclusive. A serene life is not a wave-free life. There is no such thing as a wave-free life. And all over the beach, there were people that were riding on top of the waves on these boards. And how do we stay above the water when the waves come? which inevitably they do. How do the waves not disrupt our serenity? Serenity is an interesting word in itself. It means steadiness of mind under stress. It's being calm in the middle of the storm. It, it's a sense of peace and tranquility that follows you. Serenity. How many of you could use a little more serenity about now? We're going to frame our Christmas series around the famous serenity prayer. Uh, this prayer is attributed to American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, and it was really made famous when it was adapted and adopted by recovery programs uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous and Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery, a fantastic program, meets right here on Thursday evenings and the Celebrate Recovery leaders always want me to remind you that Celebrate Recovery is not just for people with addictions. It's for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Anybody here have any hurts, habits, or hang-ups? Anybody sitting next to somebody with some hurts, habits, and hang-ups? Anybody going to be hurt or hung up on because you raised your hand for that? Yeah. Um, I want you to see this, uh, uh, this uh, great uh, prayer. Some of you may, may know these words. It goes like this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, 
and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the part most people know. It's a longer prayer. I want to read the whole thing to you today. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. And I intend to pray this prayer every day from now until Christmas and to make the serenity prayer part of my Advent journey. And I invite you to do the same, to make the serenity prayer part of our Advent. Now, connecting this prayer to the story of Christmas is an idea I got from author and pastor John Ortberg. The outline is his. We're going to take the first three lines of this great prayer and look at them over the next three Sundays, one line at a time. And so today we're going to talk about God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And we're going to look at the story of the remarkable Mary, the mother of Jesus. Next week we're going to look at God grant me the courage to change the things that I can. And we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And the final week, we'll look at God, grant me the wisdom, give me wisdom, God, to know the difference. And we'll look at the story of the Magi, or as they're commonly referred to, the wise men. And this will lead us right up to Christmas, and I'm really excited about this. And so today, we're going to look at what the Scripture has to say. We're going to follow the entire journey of this remarkable young woman named Mary. And I want us to look at and learn from the challenges that she faced, that she had to accept. Now, you know Mary's story. An angel, Gabriel, uh, comes to Mary and says these words, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, you might think this is an easy yes for Mary. You want me to be the mother of Jesus? That's fantastic. I'd, I'd be like God's mom. Uh, you know, people will see me and they'll say, Hail Mary. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll name a football pass after me. Uh, yes, count me, count me in. Uh, but the Bible does not say that Mary was greatly thrilled at what the angel says. The Bible does not say that. The next line says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Mary was greatly troubled. When we read the Bible here in the 21st century, we forget sometimes that the people in the Bible that we're reading about do not know the end of the story. At this point in the story, we know more than Mary does. We have the benefit of looking backwards with hindsight. Mary's only option is to look forward, which is the only thing that people can do when they're in a situation. Here's what Mary knows. She is unmarried and pregnant. And Mary knows and Joseph knows that Joseph is not the father. In her mind, Joseph will leave her. In her mind, she might be found guilty and be killed for the sin, for the crime of adultery. And 
killing someone for that crime was allowed by the law of her day. She could be guilty of adultery, even though she's not married, but she's engaged, and that counts. And even if she's allowed to live, she will be shunned by her community, unmarriable, impoverished, and alone. Now, we know the story didn't exactly work out that way, but at this point, Mary doesn't know that. And yet she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She accepts this call. Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple shortly after his birth, and an old man named Simeon takes the baby Jesus in his hands, and he praises God, and he prophesies a great destiny for this baby. But then he says this cryptic line. He turns now from the baby to Mary specifically, and he says this to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's kind of a weird way to end a blessing. A sword will pierce your own soul. What a creepy thing to say. And Mary must have wondered, what what will the sword be? How will my soul be pierced? What pain is coming my way? What will I have to accept that I cannot control? And there were a number of things. Mary has to accept the death of a dream, right? Mary and Joseph had a plan for their life long before that angel showed up. They had a plan for their life, for their marriage, for their home, for their family, and all of those plans, all of those dreams are out the window. And maybe you've had to die to a dream, and you know what that's like. Mary had a dream for her kids, all parents do. Um, Some scholars say there might be a hint for what she was thinking about her kids by how she named her kids. Um, People sometimes wonder, did did Jesus have brothers and sisters? Did, Did Mary and Joseph have other children? And the answer is, yes, they they did. He does have brothers and sisters, or more accurately, half-brothers and half-sisters. And we know their names. Did you know that? Yeah, look at at this from uh, Mark's gospel they're talking about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter, Jesus? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Right? So, so Jesus would have been the first child in this family. It would have been Jesus, uh, James, Joseph, Judas, and then apparently they ran out of J names and went with Simon. And aren't these his sisters here with us? And in case you're wondering, his sisters' names were Ashley and Brittany. Uh, <laughs> No, we don't know know the girls' names. Um, But some scholars think there might be something in the names of the children because James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, these are names of Old Testament patriarchs uh, who were real important in the land of Israel. And uh, one writer says that this could be like a prayer that Mary is giving to God. Oh, God, make my son Jesus and my other sons the new patriarchs, the new leaders of Israel. Because Mary knew the story of how God's people were in slavery in Egypt. And it was these great patriarchs who led them out of slavery into the promised land. And maybe she's saying, oh, God, would you use my, my sons to lead people out of oppression from the Romans? the same way you used Moses and the great patriarchs of yesteryear to free our people from Egypt. Did you ever have a dream die? God, grant me the serenity to accept the death of my dream because I had a plan for my life, for my marriage, for my kids. I had a plan. 
Can I accept with serenity the loss of the way I thought things would be? And maybe some of you are, are there right now. Mary would have to accept her inability to control other people. Anybody learned you can't control other people the way you want to? Mary had to learn she can't control everybody. She can't even control her son, Jesus. When Jesus is 12 years old, they take him back to the temple, and, uh, and this time it's for Passover, and they've got other children at this time, and, and there's a lot of relatives there, and you might know the story. Somehow uh, they, they, they lose Jesus for three days. Now, sometimes people get kind of judgy about this. How can someone lose a child? But you know who doesn't get judgy? Anyone who has children. Because it's actually easier to lose a kid than you might think. Um, I have lost our kids more uh, than my wife Angie has. I have lost our kids more than my wife Angie knows. Uh, but we've always found them. And Mary and Joseph found Jesus. They found their, their 12-year-old uh, safe and sound in, in the temple. And it's Mary who speaks first when they find him. His mother said to him, son, he's 12 years old, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Uh, it's such a mother thing to say, isn't it? Why, why have you treated me this way? I gave birth to you. That's what my mom always wanted to remind me of. Yes, mom, I know you bore me for nine long months. And, uh, 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 they, they weren't just searching for Jesus. They were anxiously searching Maybe this is the sword, Mary's anxiety. I suppose it's the kind of sword, sword that comes to, to every parent sooner or later. I look at some of my younger colleagues, uh, like Terrence Gray and his beautiful one-year-old daughter, Luca, and I think, oh, buddy, you got some swords coming your way. You know, those of you that have little kids or little grandkids, you know, one day your child might lose her way or be bullied or be hurt or be in trouble or battle addiction or reject you and your heart will be wrenched. Someday she's going to get a driver's license and a boyfriend and your heart will be worried. Even on the happiest of occasions at a wedding, your heart will be pierced by a sword. A sword comes to everybody who loves. Maybe that's the sword that Simeon is referring to. I can't stop thinking about and praying for the families of the victims of the school shooting this week in Oxford. Lives were lost, and now souls are being pierced. Mary and Joseph are relieved to find their 12-year-old son alive and well and healthy. Their rebellious son had snuck off to church. They can't be entirely mad about that. And then the next verse in Luke chapter 2 in the story, uh, after, after they say, why were you searching? Didn't, didn't, uh, Jesus says, why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? What are you going to do with Jesus? You can't... Uh, you can't punish him. He's, he's God incarnate. You can't give him a timeout. Um, in fact, he invented time. I'm not sure that would work. Uh, you, can, you can't give me a timeout. I'm already outside time. Uh, how, how does that work? Uh, and, and then uh, notice this last phrase. Um, uh, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Thank goodness he's obedient to his earthly parents. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
This last phrase is a phrase used several times about Mary. Several times in the Christmas story, we see Mary treasures and ponders. And we can learn a lot from Mary on this. She treasures the moment. She ponders the moment in real time. She does not live in the past, if only that darn angel hadn't shown up. She doesn't worry about the future. I can't control that anyway. She lives in the present. She attends the present. And this is actually very difficult for most people to do. Accepting what I cannot control means instead of regretting a past I cannot fix or worrying about a future I cannot control, I am fully present to this moment as a place of God's blessing, uh, God's blessing and God's provision. I'm fully present to this moment as a place of God's blessing and God's provision. But Mary has to accept more than that. She has to accept rejection and disappointment from loved ones, including Jesus. Jesus, you know, the story becomes a man and begins his public ministry, and it's going really well. But then Jesus starts to do some strange things. He violates the Sabbath law. He touches lepers. He allows a prostitute to wash his feet with her hair. Suspicious things indeed. And then we read this. He's teaching one time in a public place, and when his family heard about all this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, Mary's part of this. Mary believes her baby boy who was laid in a manger next to her 30 years ago is now deluded. He's now mentally ill. And the story goes on and it gets awkward uh, when Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, Jesus asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, Jesus is making a point here in his teaching that there's this new family that forming around Jesus, not along bloodline, but along spiritual lines, a new family that will welcome and include anybody. Jesus is making a point here, but do you think this had to sting for Mary? I think about my mom when she was 91 years old, if she visited Ward Church when I was teaching, which she did many times, and someone came and told me, hey, Scott, your, ma, your mother is here. And I stood up and I said, who is my mother? Uh, my 91-year-old, four-foot-eleven mom would have had me over her knee. I'll tell you who your mother is. I gave birth to you. Right? Jesus is saying something here that Mary cannot possibly understand. And he goes right on teaching kind of leaves Mary outside, and maybe that's the sword. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. This is the last time we see Mary until the final day of, of Jesus on earth. She'll have to accept painful loss. And there's this real gripping scene in the New Testament uh, for every parent, this single line, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. She was there watching her son on a cross. And I wonder if Jesus like, tried to protect her from that, if he asked any of the apostles to try to take his mom away so she didn't have to see it that day. Watching your child suffer and die has to be the most painful of all human experiences. 
She watched her son take his first breath in a stable, and she watched her son take his last breath on a cross. This tender exchange between Jesus and his mom from the cross, uh, you may remember this. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, we think that's John, he sees his mom and John standing there, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, you know the backstory. Mary already has another son. She's got four sons. Where were they? Why didn't her sons take Mary in? Uh, we don't know. It, it's possible that Mary's loyalty to Jesus created a wedge of some kind between her and her other sons. We, we don't know that. But it does seem like Mary will rely on her spiritual family, not her blood family. And John will care for the mother of Jesus. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Give me what I cannot manufacture, because that kind of serenity in those situations cannot be produced. It has to be received. And that kind of serenity is only found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross is where the dangerous, violent waves and peaceful serenity coexist. Judgment and mercy come together. And Mary is starting to understand the foundation of true serenity. Let's look at one last scene of Mary's life. This is the last time she's mentioned in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Jesus has died and resurrected. He's already ascended. And then Acts chapter 1, where people are gathering in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. It'd be so easy to miss what God's up to here in this a throwaway line, but God's up to something really uh, wonderful. They all join together there in the upper room, constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there in the upper room. She's a believer now. She's there with the, the followers of Jesus, waiting for the Holy Spirit. She's with her spiritual family. Who else is there? And with his brothers. His brothers have come full circle. They're believers in Jesus now. And for Mary, her two families are now together. Right? Jesus is up to something really uh, wonderful here when he brings the, the families together. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Not because accepting them will make my life more pleasant. Not because I can't change them anyway, but because the God of the crucifixion is also the God of resurrection. Right? Because the dream I have to die to ultimately will be replaced by a better dream. And because the heart that is pierced by a sword will be remade into a heart of joy. I want you to hear the story of a man who experienced painful loss and experience the serenity found in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear his story. Please watch, uh, please watch the screen. I want to tell you a story. A story about a man who had it all. A beautiful wife, four beautiful daughters. He was a successful business owner and lawyer. He'd made a small fortune in real estate investments. And then one day a fire broke out and burned all of his investments. And he was left with nothing. Can you imagine losing everything? 
Needing some time to decompress, he planned a family trip to England. At the last minute, he was pulled away on business, and so he sent his family on ahead of him. And a few days later, he received a letter in the mail that had two simple, short words, saved alone. You see, the ship his family was traveling on collided with another ship and sank in minutes. 226 people aboard perished, including his four beautiful little girls, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Immediately, he boarded a ship to go to England to be with his wife. And as they were crossing the Atlantic, the captain came to him and said, we are about to pass over the place where your daughters lay. What do you say in that moment? How do you respond? Walking to the railing, he peered over the edge into the ocean three miles deep into his daughter's watery grave. With his hands, he gripped the railing and through a haze of emotion, he searched for what his heart longed to find and his mind knew he would never see. As the spray of the ocean mixed with his salty tears, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We're gonna have that song played here quietly for a moment, and I wanna ask you to close your eyes for a moment in an attitude of prayer as, this, uh, as the words of this song play. Everybody's eyes closed, kind of bowed in attitude of prayer. And if there's a place in your life where, where you really need some serenity right now, I'm going to ask you just as an individual to stand to your feet so we can pray for you wherever you are. Maybe you're burdened about somebody that you love. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Maybe you've got financial problems that you feel like you can't change. Uh, maybe you have a job situation or no job at all. Maybe things aren't going very well for you at school. Maybe you long to have a child, but you can't. Maybe there's an addiction that you've been trying to fight on your own. Maybe you're living in fear. Go and stand to your feet. Maybe you're feeling lost. Maybe you're feeling alone. Would you just stand right now where you are? We're just going to pray for you. If you need a dose of serenity, would you just as an act of faith, stand to your feet so we can include you in this prayer wherever you are. Heavenly Father, grant to every person the serenity to accept the things they cannot change. Give them peace beyond circumstances. Give them hope beyond death. And we pray this in the in the incarnate, crucified, risen Savior, Jesus Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen.